Um, but we'll just ask that um, you keep your questions till the end. Brad will um, uh, teach us for the first half hour or so, and then we'll open it up for Q&R and uh, we'll get to um, get a little more information through that. Go ahead, Han. Okay, so I'm gonna get central here. Uh, for those who weren't here two weeks ago, or even if you were, I want to just recap a few things. So a couple of weeks ago, we talked about reimagining um, reimagining scripture because I'm running into two kinds of, two, two sort of categories on mass. Uh, one are people that are still really into scripture, but the, the way they interpret it uh, can be fairly toxic uh, because they're, uh, those who see most convicted about, about faithfulness to scripture also tend to read it very literalistically. And, and I would say that's a massive problem. And, and when read that way, we can actually uh, generate toxic images of God. Uh, the other category would be those who come to see those toxic images and are put off by scripture. And so what I was trying to do two weeks ago is to say, look at, uh, for those who've been through enough detox that you're willing to give it another look, here are some ways to think about it. And so one of the things I talked about was rather than seeing scriptures in isolation as sort of the direct word of God about whatever that passage happens to be about, if we could, if we could reframe our scripture reading around the gospel as Jesus did on the road to Emmaus, it would really help us. In other words, the Bible as a whole is a uh, it, it is an epic saga. It is it is a grand narrative of redemption, where every book is heading somewhere and anticipating someone, and that someone is Christ. And so, when Christ meets his disciples on the road to Emmaus, you know he becomes our rabbi for how to read the scriptures, and in so doing, he shows us how the scriptures from the Torah, the prophets, and all the scriptures are a faithful witness uh, about him and how he fulfills these things in much greater measure. Um, and then also I, I may have talked about, about how uh, scripture can also be a mirror for us. And so a lot of the negative stuff in scripture, you don't improve the story by getting rid of Voldemort, <laughs> you know? Um, what, what we do is we see how that fits into the big picture and then how it, how it addresses us in the human condition. So the, the toxic parts of scripture don't need to be cut out either. They need to be mirrors for the toxins in our world today. And so that'd be one example of ways I read scripture. What I didn't cover last time that I want to just mention before we get rolling on prayer is as with prayer, it's going to be personal to you, what works for you. And so I know like my, my babichka would read the whole Bible every year. I just don't, do it that way. Um, I've read the whole Bible a few times, but I found it more fruitful if I would take, let's say, um, one chapter or one psalm and just camp on that for a whole month or two months or three months. Um, the other thing I'll do is I'll, I'll pick a, a central gospel kind of passage, let's say a verse or maybe a paragraph, Ephesians 3, the part that talks about God is the love of God is higher, wider, longer, and deeper and whatever we could conceive, ask, or imagine. And so I bet I've been in that paragraph for years now, um, exploring what that means to me. 
Another one really important, you know, 1 John 4, perfect love, God is love, and then perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who's afraid has not yet made, been made perfect in love. And so we're meant to learn that God is love, that he loves us, and we're to love one another. So, so that'd be an example of like a paragraph where I'm like, you probably should, what if you just focused on uh, going deeper and narrower rather than sort of skimming the surface, like skipping rocks across the pond. But again, whatever works for you. There are some scriptures also I, that I pray and I memorize them so I could pray them every day, like the Beatitudes, for example. I think I mentioned that as a furnace for discernment. Um, most nights I also, I just, I just put on somebody else's voice praying Psalm 51, which is David's Psalm of confession. And he's just, he's just getting all the, he's flushing out stuff from the day. Well, he's flushing out his, his scandals too, for that matter. But it's just like, wash me and I'll be clean. And, and, uh, and, and that's like a truth. It's like, if you wash me, I'll be clean. Okay. So wash me please. And then I'll be able to tell others about your great mercy. So that's some of the ways I've been practicing scripture, but you can hear I'm already launching a little bit into prayer. Um, so with prayer, similarly, uh, there are those who have a history with prayer, really loved prayer. And sometimes that's gone sour, that's gone dry, that's disappeared. Um, sometimes it's led to disillusionment. Sometimes it's led to mental illness, <laughs> for that matter. Uh, so what do we do with prayer? Um, it might help you to think about um, some categories that come out of my experience. So uh, when I was growing up, we did a lot of intercession. Most of prayer was asking God for stuff. And, and it was usually not greedy stuff. It was praying by name for all of my relatives, which was a lot of, which was pretty funny because I had a lot of relatives. My mom had eight siblings and I had 30 first cousins and about 60 second cousins and so on. And I didn't, you know, we just tried to get through all the siblings and cousins and, and in the Ditchfield clan, that, that, that was my mom's maiden name. Um, the Ditchfield clan, there was a lot of Jimmy's. So we, you know, we'd pray and my mom would, we should pray with us at night and she'd pray for big Jim, little Jim, Jimbo and Jimmy, you know, <laughs> Merle's Jim, uh, you know, there's a bunch of gyms and so on. But we got, we got used to this idea of praying for everybody in the family, especially because we were young evangelicals, you know, for their souls and, um, and that they would know Jesus and, and his love. And so um, that was at least a way of transposing our worries about our family into intercession. But that was a lot of it. You know, we do the thank you for this. Forgive me for that. Help us with this. And then let's do the family. <laughs> and um, I have to say that in those prayer times, I felt a real living connection. It was not. I, I it was not empty. It Jesus felt like he was this far away. Like um, I'd close my eyes and I'd pray and I would even as a conservative Baptist would feel his presence about two inches off my face and out front of my heart. So I appreciate that. I think living connection is kind of the big deal. 
But um, both with sort of as Baptist intercessors and then as a small C charismatic, the intercession, uh, we began to really think about faith more. And so, so there was, I'm going to call, I'm going to say that, you know, Jesus talks about praying with faith. He congratulates praying with faith. Um, he's a little bit grumpy when he sees a problem with faith. And if, if, if we're going to talk about prayer, I, I really think, um, you know, what Jesus says about that matters. And he's more expectant than I am. Um, but it, at the very least, you know, he says, look at when you pray, pray this. And that's literally how he says that. When you pray, pray this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The kingdom come, they will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one or from evil. By the way, that's where the prayer stops. Um, you might wonder where divine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever comes from. That does not come from the Bible. That was when the church as a whole would pray the Lord's Prayer. And then that was the priest, what the priest would say back to them. It's part of the traditional liturgy. Uh, that we somehow adopted even in non-liturgical churches. So, so at least we've got, we've got these statements by Jesus and they're like really intense. And we would, we would try to pray with faith that could move mountains. We would try to pay, pray with faith in his name. We would try to pray with faith and, and not doubt. We would try to pray with faith and, you know, that, so, so that, what did that mean for us? Well, I don't think Jesus meant this, but how it turned out for me um, is I would pray with expectancy that my prayers would do something. And um, it was a lot easier in some ways when they didn't. So for example, if you pray for sick people and no one ever gets healed, that's pretty easy. Cause then you can just say, God doesn't heal today. What made it worse for me is when he started to heal people and like not enough. So what, you know, we saw a number of medically verified miraculous healings through our prayers. And I, and I mean, you know, um, woman who was legally blind from birth, praying and receiving 2020 vision virtually instantly. And then her ophthalmologist confirming who had worked with her since she was a little girl, that in fact, she, her eyes had been healed. And I'm like, well, that's cool. And then my, I prayed, we prayed for my auntie Merle and she had uterus cancer and bowel cancer. And, and we prayed for her and then the doc, so that she went for surgery and, and they went in and they spent 45 minutes looking for the bowel cancer and it was all gone. So they redid the biopsy on the uterus cancer and it was all gone. And now, Let's see, 25 years later, she's still kicking around. She's in her 90s now. Um, it got crazier. Uh, we prayed for Mrs. Schlaman. Mrs. Schlaman, um, she, she had before and after x-rays of her spinal column, where before we prayed for her, she was a hunchback, and she was missing two vertebrae. They'd just gone to, ch like to chalk, and, um, and like really hideous to look at even. And, and she just, she said, look at I, every night I pray to the Lord, Lord, I, I can't, I, I can't live like this. Can you just let me turn over once more without pain and then let me go to sleep and not wake up tomorrow. That was what she prayed every night. 
And so we prayed for her. And, uh, and when I say we, I mean, kids in my youth group that I was training to pray. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, uh, not many weeks later, um, I don't remember if it was three weeks or six weeks, but in that range, she shows up in church with a, and her, her spinal column is like perfectly straight and her posture was better than mine. And she, you know, a little old German lady and she was, the Lord has healed me, you know? And, um, and I don't know if she's still alive, but for the rest of the time I knew her, she, she was pain-free and completely erect. And this can't happen, but they showed her the x-rays of vertebrae that had regrown that, you know, Jeff can tell you that's not possible, but it happened. And I wish I would have paid the, I could have paid a hundred bucks for the before x-rays and the after x-rays. And I, I should have, but you know what? I've never found that works anyway. People look at it and go, oh, there was a misdiagnosis. I'm like, okay, well, we saw a lot of those for a while. Here's the problem with that. So now you think you know how it works, right? <laughs> you make five steps and you have a system and then you, and then my mom gets breast cancer. And guess what? We have even more faith because of my aunt not healed. Unless, you know, having a double mastectomy and living beyond, you know, the next couple decades counts. Um, but certainly it wasn't a miracle. And we're like, why didn't it work? You know, just praying in tears for little kids in Mexico, uh, one with very severe bow legs, not working. So, so th this just really screwed me up. <laughs> um, because it's like, I know he can do this stuff. I've seen him do this stuff. And I see him do it like, you know, maybe, maybe 5% of the time. So what's that about? Eventually, some of those cases really, really mattered to me. And when he didn't heal them, the disappointment was so jarring that I'm just like, I felt traumatized. And I'm, I'm like, what kind of God could do this and then wouldn't do it for, you know, like, let's say a terminally ill baby. And it really, that kind of, kind of charismatic prayer messed me up um, because it, it felt like I needed to psych myself up into believing something that I wasn't sure I believed, or if I was able to believe it, then it didn't happen. What the hell kind of God is this, right? So that's that's pretty rough on, on people. Well, I knew a lot of people like that. And so we, we did a shift in our, in our prayer lives. And that shift was about protecting our hearts from disappointment and disillusionment and bitterness. And that's when we got into contemplative prayer. And contemplative prayer is kind of lovely. You know, you listen and you experience peace and you center. I love that. You can never be disappointed. Um, and so we would say, I don't think I ever said this, but it, it's, it's a common saying among contemplatives. Prayer doesn't change things. It changes you. And so it was all about spiritual formation in our hearts. As, as we learn to sit in silence and peace before the Lord, as we do our centering prayer. And, and I feel like it does form us and it can bring us peace and it does bring us into a place of serenity and even intimacy with God. Um, that's nice. But it also, it also doesn't sound a lot like what Jesus is describing prayer as. That kind of bugged me. So I had this like really great weekend with um, 
whereas down in Colorado with Eugene and Jan Peterson and Eden was there and the Zons were there and some other friends. And so I was supposed to do a Q&A time with Peterson. And he was really talking like about we need to make this shift from sort of frenetic utilitarian prayer towards a more contemplative place that's about forming our inner being. And I know our spiritual directors in the group, they can really probably relate to that. Um, but I, so in the Q&A time, I said to, to, to Eugene, I'm like, here's my problem. Um, I am aware that a good part of my contemplative prayer is about avoiding disappointment because I don't want to risk anymore. I don't want to pray in faith, whatever that means. And then, and, and, and I don't know what to do, but I'm also, when I read the gospels, I know what I'm doing is not what Jesus is talking about. And like, what do you, so what should I do? <laughs> Put him on the spot. And he was so kind, but it, you know, he was quiet. And then in his quiet voice, he just said, uh, be disappointed. And it seemed like he was saying, you know, if you want to recover prayer, um, uh, one element of prayer, especially you see it in 30, 40, no, 40% of the Psalms is lament. Prayers of disappointment. Prayers that can disappoint. Because love, when you love someone and you pray for them, um, you know, no, you don't get to tell God what to do. You can ask them, but also when you ask them, can you sit at the cross with those who aren't healed or aren't rescued or whose marriages aren't restored or, you know, and all of the ways we end up grieving. And what if that kind of, what if grieving is a kind of contemplative prayer that's willing to be disappointed? And so, you know, we pray for, there's so many people in our lives that We've decided to keep praying for them, even when they have chronic illness, even when they have serial miscarriages, even when, even when, even when we've decided we would rather stay at the crossroads and be disappointed and pray for mercy than to just say, oh, we found a better way that will never trouble us. So that's the two sides, the two ditches that I've found myself in sort of the hyper charismatic wing of faithy stuff and then the contemplative avoid pain at all costs stuff. So where I've come to is, um, well, it came to a real head where I had to just realize much of my prayer life had been reduced to uh, telling God what to do. And I was angry because he wasn't obeying me. And so I had to, I realized my prayers were so much about trying to manipulate God that I had to go through detox on prayer, along with many people who, with OCD, who go through, need to go through detox on prayer. And, and then after about six months, I was able to start praying, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I would say sinner, not because it's my identity, but because I was identifying my struggle. I am suffering the human condition. Have mercy on me. What I loved about that and what Eden has discovered as well is that when you pray, Lord, have mercy, the answer is always yes, because God is mercy. 
He is an infinite spring of mercy who never fails. And so that waterfall of mercy is forever pouring. And so when I pray, Lord, have mercy, I'm not telling him what he has to do or what the outcome has to look like. I'm telling him I've come to know him as mercy and I'm going to get under the waterfall. The fun thing with that is I started just bringing other people under the waterfall with me too. So that's one way I've started praying again. So I'd say, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on Eden. Oh, Lord, Lord, have mercy. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on Stephen and Colette and their baby boy. And on Justice and on Somi and on Ahyan and Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on, on Dominic. And then I start working through my 12-step group and I start working through my colleagues at the college and in at the magazine where I work. And I, I start working through my, my, you know, my, my mom and dad and my brother and sister-in-law and their kids. And I start working, you know, oh, what am I doing? I'm back in the list again. And, and you know what? It's been sweet because I don't, I don't tell God what the mercy has to look like, but I, I can tell you one case where I thought, I, I feel like I have deja vu. Maybe I've told this group about when I prayed for Didi's daughter that she gave away. Okay, so I was praying through the whole family, including my brother-in-law's ex and her husband and their kids, whose names I can't remember, even the one that my sister-in-law, Didi, gave away when she was a teenager. And for some reason, I thought, I'm going to pray for, for, the, for all those people every day. And so I go, Lord, Lord have mercy on, on, um, on uh, Didi and Doug and, and, and the, the kids and, and, and the one she gave away. And I didn't tell her about it. But within a month, literally within a month, my battery's about to die. If you don't mind getting a plug. Um, literally within a month, she, she said to Eden and I, Hey, do you remember uh, that the daughter I gave away when I was a teenager? She, I said, yeah. She said, I got to meet her this month. I'm like, no way. All right. So I'm not going to say there was a cause and an effect there. It, yeah. It worked out. Thanks. Um, I'm just saying I came under a waterfall that was already pouring and I invited people I care about under that waterfall. And I prayed for mercy and I didn't, I didn't demand particular outcomes. Then I thought I'm going to get a bit more bold with this. And so after another six months, I started praying the Lord's prayer, which is bolder than I would be. Let your kingdom come, <laughs> let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so I can pray that. And again, I'm not, I don't dictate to God anymore because that, that I got burnt on that, but I can pray what he told me to pray. So I've got a few of those kind of prayers going and those work for me. So I, I have this range of prayer now where I've got these, I, I, when I don't have words, I have memorized prayers that I can, or I can read the prayers, or I can even have someone read the prayers to me over an app. Uh, and a lot of those are from scripture. Uh, one of my favorite memorized ones, I pray every day, sometimes twice a day. Is, o heavenly king, O comforter, spirit of truth who is in all places and fills all things, treasury of good gifts and giver of life, come dwell with us. Of course he does. Like, so that's a good one, right? I already do. Excellent. Come dwell with us. Cleanse us from every stain. 
So it's not just about forgiveness. It's like, wash me off from the dust of the day and the frustrations, my anxieties, even the harm that I've done or has been done to me. Um, and save our souls, oh good one. And so that's not talking about like, prevent me from going to hell. It's about like, keep forming me into a human being. <laughs> Humanize me. Uh, bring me into my truest self. And then when I say, Lord of mercy, Lord of mercy, Lord of mercy, and then all holy trinity of mercy on us. Lord, wash away our sins, pardon our iniquities, visit and heal our infirmities for your name's sake. Okay, well, there I'm praying for healing again, but like, I'll let them worry about how to do it. I'm just putting it out there. For you are a good and merciful God and you love humanity. And, uh, and then that's when I'll, I'll go into the Lord's Prayer. So I do these memorized ones, especially in the night if I've got insomnia. I'll do some of the, a bunch of whole Lord have mercies. I could even go on YouTube and just press, oh, here's 30 minutes of Lord have mercy. And I just fall back asleep to it. So that's, that's on the sort of the liturgical side, if that works for you. I know some people worry about empty liturgy, but you should see how, you should hear how empty non-liturgy can be. Oh, Lord, we just really, really, just really, just really want to just really pray. Good Lord, get on with it, man. Um, uh, other ones, it's, it's the serenity prayer. God grant me this serenity to do, to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I mentioned the Beatitudes. I mentioned Psalm 51. Um, but I also want to mention this other, this other side we call listening prayer. And I, for me, that includes I talk to God and I spend time listening. And I found that, you know, the still small voice is in everyone, including my agnostic friends. Um, if I say, I, I know you don't believe in God's voice, but can you hear the voice of deep wisdom if you're quiet? Oh, yes, I hear that. I'm <laughs> like, good enough. Um, so there's a, this listening side, but for me, it's also very visual. So I will, I will, I, I have the meeting place exercise I like to do. Where would you meet God for a one on one that's really peaceful, where you feel safe, where you can look in his face? We can see the kindness in his eyes. What does he say to you there? What does he do for you there? And there again, that's probably where I've seen some of the craziest miracles as well. Never asking for them, just the kind of looking at Jesus with people. And, and, um, and, and, and if you don't have your own, you can borrow others. Like, so some people borrow Psalm 23. I think what a beautiful thing. Just picture yourself in Psalm 23 with the good shepherd quiet pastures, paths of righteousness, dark shadow, like the shadow of death, the chasm there, the table that he's prepared for you, and then the house of the Lord. That, that whole progression is very, it's purposely visual. Or you can use Psalm, um, Revelation chapter 4. It's the throne room. It's describing the one on the throne and the, and the four living creatures hovering around like a Stephen King novel. And you've got the 24 elders gathered around, prostrating and throwing the crowns down. And you've got the, you, you've got uh, the emerald rainbow going on there. And you've got myriads of angels. And so it's all painted there for you so you can behold it with your heart. So that's when I, I, I'll go into worship or intercession in a visual way. And so that's, that's quite different, you know, beholding the Lord on his throne is quite different than praying these memorized prayers, but I kind of need the whole range. Um, um, I'll just say one last thing that, you know, um, prayer and meditation, prayer is talking to God, meditation is listening to God or watching God, 
And I just think many of us, uh, prayer seemed pretty dry because we did all the talking. And that, that, gets, that should get boring probably. And so there was a, less so now, but there's a time when I would say 80% of my prayer life was visual and 80% was listening. And the stuff we heard there and do hear there is, it's really quite transforming. Um, Eden met Christ this week in a picture where she's in a boat and a speedboat had gone by and it was rocking the boat with these waves. And, and he's like, Eden, it's not a storm. It's just a speedboat went by. <laughs> so don't hang on so tight or you're going to be doing this, you know, let, just let go and see what happens and, and things come to peace. And so that practically impacted her day. I, I must say she looked deathly and, and then she seemed to be at peace. And that happened in the space of five or 10 minutes as she snuck away with the Lord. All right, it's, uh, I've gone on almost about, about 30 minutes now. Um, and that's a little picture into my prayer life. I will just, uh, we can go into some questions, but I would, I would say this to you is, you know, have you experienced either of those two ditches I'm talking about? Um, the one where you're, you're so much into faith, but you kind of get shipwrecked on the disillusionment? Or have you been, ended up in, the, in, in a kind of prayer life where you do anything you can to not be disappointed? I'm wondering if I could just pull you under the waterfall of mercy and say, come on in under here. It's always flowing. And he's so kind. And even if you would just imagine yourself under a waterfall receiving mercy, that's all you'd have to do for the next six months, like literally in terms of prayer. If you want to do more, you can. But um, certainly, certainly that's, that, that's the place where uh, even lamenting people end up saying, great is thy faithfulness. Um, so, you know, you shouldn't do it how I do it, though. Just like, what, when do you feel the living connection might be the most important question? Do that, because the living connection is the point. In conclusion, I forgot something. I read today some guy on why do we pray on Twitter? <laughs> he had three points. One was to co-create the world. That's the faith side. To form our soul. That's the contemplative side. And to know God as a person who loves you. That's that central, the center path of mercy. And um, I would say, what if you can have them all in some kind of healthy balance? Eden? So we'll open it for Q&R now. And um, if you have a question or a comment that you want to share, uh, at the bottom of the screen, if you scroll to the bottom, um, there is a little happy face there. It says reactions underneath. If you go to that, um, there should be um, a little hand that goes up or does it? Yeah. yeah. If we can even see the hands going, no, that's not raise hand. Yeah. It says raise hand. Um, if you put that up, then it's easier for Sarah um, to see you. You come to the top of the screens and we can um, have you in, and see you while you're asking your question. So is Sarah going to manage the? Yeah. Okay. Um, Cheryl Hannah just shared something really cool. I've become focused on your kingdom come, your will be done. And then I ask what he wants me to pray in a given circumstance. And then I do what I'm told. So that's really good because now you're listening to God and, and coming into what he's blessing. 
rather than telling God what he needs to do, hoping that he'll bless it. <laughs> um, that's really, that's excellent. Can you explain John 14, 13 then? Let's pull open the Bible. Probably not. I mean, what you're going to do is you're going to have like a million. Well, what about this first question? Um, we have a solution for that. You buy my book, A More Christ-Like Word, and then we'll go into that. But um, what John 14, 13 is talking about, is, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask for anything in my name and I will do it. So how's that working for you? <laughs> um, uh, so, so what's going on there? In 12-step recovery, step 11 says this. Uh, through prayer and meditation, we sought to improve our conscious contact with the God of our understanding, praying only uh, for uh, his will and the power to carry it out. So I think, I think we don't want to take that, that verse in isolation. What we want to do is take that verse in conjunction with your will be done. Lord, show me your will and I'll ask for it. And then whatever I ask for that aligns with that, perhaps that'll happen. I just know I've had so many, I'm an expert at unanswered prayer. And so I could take that verse and just be bitter about it because it sound, there's a way of reading it that sounds like a genie in a lantern. And uh, so when I ask for anything I want and God doesn't answer it, is did he screw up or did I screw up? And then you just start the blame game, right? So I, I, there's been a couple of times where I, I prayed with a very, very sincere heart about winning the lottery. <laughs> what are you laughing at? Well, clearly you didn't take the prayer answers. Look at you, I did. Oh, okay. <laughs> Get a room. So, uh, no, I th it's a real it's a real problem verse in isolation. And I just think, you know, is he talking to the disciples? Is he talking to us too? I think he's talking to us too. But if he's talking to us too, what are like the limits? We that? can't get it on TV. Oh, somebody. It's so broken up. Okay, Chris, you want to go for it? Nope. Hey, Brad, I've got a question. Okay. Um, you said uh, you pray Psalm 51. Are there any other Psalms that you pray particularly? Well, first of all, I should be careful. I, I use an Orthodox Bible and the, the numbers are off by one. So whatever could be Psalm 50 in your Bible. So that, so that one's the prayer of confession after David sins with Bathsheba, whichever that is in your Bible. For me, it's Psalm 51. Um, in a normal, in your Bible, um, I, I love praying Psalm 103. The, um, that is, it's all about, um, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. And it talks about, he, he's, he heals us. Um, he redeems our lives. From the pit. It's the one where he says, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, bounding and loving kindness, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his mercy and all that. So I love praying that one. I haven't memorized that whole one. Um, when I pray with people who are in very deep, like let's say chronic pain or lament, and there's just like an unending barrage of suffering, um, I, will, I will have them pray with me, uh, uh, Psalm 6 and Psalm 13. 
I used to play pray Psalm 91 for protection, but I got a bit too triumphalistic about it. And, and you know, the Lord encamps around those who fear him and like, they won't even ever break, break their toe. I'm like, well, I did, <laughs> you know, so what's that about? Right. So, but that's a, a favorite. Um, Psalm 23, I pray a lot, like just visually I walk through it. So those are some of the Psalms I lean on. Um, but also I'm not afraid to pray the prayers of what we call prayers of imprecation. That's when you pray curses on your enemy. And because I, I, it is not in my heart to curse my enemies or to have God curse them. I pray those so that he will remove malice from my heart that I'm exposing the malice to him. So it's about cleansing me from, from the impulse for um, vengeance and violence and it's funny how that works if you if you pray it to him, you know. Um, good question. Thanks, um, Chris Dewitt did add, did have his hand up, but I don't know. He's changed his mind. David, go ahead. David, you have to um, put your mic on. Sorry, it doesn't come off automatically. Okay, there we go. Are we on? Yep, yeah, you're on, David. Great. Um, I appreciate what you're saying, but praying and all that stuff. And, and, and I think one that has mattered a lot to me is I've moved from more specific prayers to maybe general, like your will be done for this day, and then learning to go with the flow. But I struggle with, with uh, James uh, 1.6. It says, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because one who doubts is like the wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. I find that it almost as if it asks of me a perfect faith. And if I have any little doubt, I won't get what I specifically ask for. So I struggle with you know, specific prayers. I can do this, your will be done. That's kind of laying whatever God you want to do type of thing. You know? I totally hear you, David. Yeah. It, that's um, so that's been my experience too. Like, so for example, <laughs> when I was kind of coming out of just a sort of a traditional Baptist intercession stuff into like experimenting with word faith, you, Paul Youngi Cho and these guys from Korea would say, you've got to be specific. You don't ask God for transportation. You ask him for a white Astro van with blue wheels and a feather on top, you know, like, because it doesn't work unless you're really, really specific. And so they, they would just go at this. And so I, I tried that, but um, I, I kind of just saw, saw that as me trying to manage and manipulate God into giving me what I want again. So I did what you did. And it's like, okay, I'm going to go more of a general thing. Your will be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done. That That's not bad. Um, or... But, but I could, or like, I could feel myself using it as a cop-out, right? Your will be done, Matt. I'm, I'm scared. <laughs> and so just do whatever. And I was, probably you're not like this, but I was fatalistic about it. Mm -hmm. And so I, I remember a little, a little toddler at Bible camp swallowed a whole bunch of poison uh, in the kitchen and I, I remember my mom, she was frantic in prayer. She was storming the gates of heaven. She was claiming the promises, you name it. My mom was going to pull down healing. And I just like, 
it was not that I didn't care. It was that that level of emotion was tormenting to me because I was even more sensitive than her. So I, I went into this kind of fatalistic, <laughs> your will be done and like, I'm, let, I'm giving this child over to you, whatever you want. And, and I knew in my heart, this was about me just protecting my heart because the kid was probably gonna die in my mind. By the way, the, the kid pulled through, but it left me asking this. So I do wanna address that about how the Lord have mercy prayer really helps me um, and how it relates to James 1. So James 1, instead of just isolating that one or two verses, if you can see, have a look through it. And what it's doing is it's saying the big picture from 30,000 feet is that God, that Jesus Christ and his father are unchanging in their faithfulness. They don't waver in their covenant. There is that every good gift comes from the father of lights in whom there is no shadow of turning. So it's about this, the, the constancy of God as good. And then it contrasts that with, if I don't know that in my heart, then I'm tossed around and I'm jerked around by every wave that comes along. And I become double-minded, double-minded about what? what I'm going to get in prayer, no, double-minded about, about the nature of God. And so here's what I, here, here's where I come to. Even though Lord have mercy sounds like a general prayer. It's one I can pray with utter certitude and my heart doesn't waver at all. Like I so believe that you're merciful that when I pray this, and, and I don't doubt it, I know we will see your mercy, but I still don't know what it's going to look like. And I'm not going to tell you what it has to look like. I might tell you what I want, but, but I'm not leaning on that. I'm leaning on, on how consistent and faithful he is in his goodness. So that's at least my effort to, to say, um, what can I not be double-minded on? The constancy and faithfulness of God and, and that his nature is mercy. So I could go on, but I see a bunch of more hands, but David so, might want to follow up. Just um, Diana. Diana. Um, had a, a question prior, just to move in. How to keep prayer alive when you've been praying for someone's soul for decades and there's been no change? Well, uh, I'm not as sure as you are about what is happening in someone's soul, but I do know that my little granny from the time she was married until the day her husband died, uh, prayed for her husband's soul, uh, I think 60 years. Um, he finally surrendered the morning that he passed away. <laughs> I, I don't think that was a, a McDonald's drive-through thing. I think that was, that was years of, on her knees and, and, and prayer. So, um, but even then, of course, we're meant to pray for people's souls and no, God will not coerce them. But I think our, what our prayers do is our prayers may actually open up space to mediate moments of clarity for other people. We can't impact their agency, but what we can do is create an environment in our relationships with them 
and in and in prayer, where th that I, I I think that environment uh, makes space for what uh, Socrates called the wise persuasion of love. So I would say uh, I take heart from my granny's perseverance, and I think maybe uh, those changes are forthcoming as, as soon as the person is able. So um, should we go to hands or Dave, David might have a follow-up question though, right? Did you have a follow-up question, David? You're still on mute again though. Um, you know, I'm like, like I'm involved with team challenge and there I'm, I'm meeting and hanging out with with guys who are drying in 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 the dry out center type of thing, and so I find that when I do pray, that God, Your will be done. One thing it does for me, it that does uh, allows me more of freedom not to have certain expect specific expectations, but but to allow myself to be more just accepting. But I think where I maybe like someone mentioned here earlier too, where I struggle with, I have a daughter, uh, you know, they're involved with. Christians, but involved with non-Christian boyfriend, boyfriends, or whatever it may, may be, and you're praying for them and praying for them. They go through one boyfriend after another. That's that's secular. So you're kind of wondering, God, why are you not leading them to a Christian boyfriend? When I prayed for so long since they were children, yeah. Now they're they're now in the 30s, right? Yeah. So I understand. There's Abraham had, you know, how many years when he <laughs> he asked for a son, but it came and all that stuff. I know there's. There's time involved at times, and I think maybe maybe I'm not patient with that. But I mean, I think that's where I I struggle with kind of God. How do you want me to pray more specifically when I'm asking for something more specific in the here and now of whether in any area, whether it's finances or your family and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. Well, at least you know the serenity prayer. So that's <laughs> uh, Grace's turn. Hello. Hi, Grace. Hi. Um, so 13 years ago, I prayed really earnestly for one of my friends. She was, when she was a baby, she lost her mom from drug addiction. And then at 16, she was in a huge car accident. Um, she was in the passenger seat and became a quadriplegic. Um, and she wasn't a Christian, but she somehow believed that there was a possibility that she could be healed and walk again. Um, and doctors just told her she was you know, in denial, and this was a permanent condition she needed to accept. And so at the time, I, yeah, I earnestly, I prayed for her, and I believed for her healing physically and spiritually. I prayed with her, had lots of conversations with her, and long story short, she was never healed, um, and she didn't become a Christian either. She eventually passed away from complicated, like complications from pneumonia at the age of 22. And this put me on a really long and difficult journey. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and I also had a really long prayer hiatus because it just didn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. So where are you at today? <laughs> so one day I was actually at this prayer group um, to receive some prayer because I think there was just a lot of bitterness growing in my heart. And um, my pastor instead asked, instead of praying for me or asking someone else to, he asked me to pray for myself. And 
I hadn't been able to print in ages. So I was a bit angry, but I did. And tears just, I just couldn't stop crying. I repeated two sentences over and over because I didn't know what else to say. I just said, God, help me to know that you are good and help me to know that you are still somehow holding this world. And this these words I just repeated over and over and it's healed me in a lot of ways, but I still have the question, like, does God intervene supernaturally? And if God does sometimes answer someone's request for a parking spot and in other horrific situations, he chooses not to, how can we be okay with it? How do, how do you, I don't know, like sometimes I even wonder if I should be praying in certain situations or not. Like it's just all still very confusing for me. Well, that was a good prayer that you composed though. And you can see the fruit of it. And you can see that a, a prayer like that is in the will of God and that he's going to answer it. And then we don't know the means by which it'll be answered or how long that takes, but something's going on in you. And so you can almost see like the journey I went on is something you need. We sort of need to go on is we need to bottom out on. And this will come to Chris's question in a bit, the difference between expectations and expectancy expectations is, is when I create an outcome and expect God to deliver on that in the way I think is best. There's a lot of I going on in expectation. And I even think that ex expectation is something we need to get delivered from and life will do that to you. Expectancy on the other hand is focused not on outcomes that I am generating in my imagination and wish dreams, Expectancy has to do with uh, knowing the nature of God, that he loves us and that he's good. And see, so what you did there is you've shifted from expectations to expectancy. You've shifted from particular outcomes that seemed right, um, maybe even are right, but you, you, you've shifted like, show me that you're good and heal my heart from disappointment and in fact let my disappointment be intercession well, again lament 40 percent of the psalms much of the book of jeremiah most of the book of lamentations it is it is disappointment as prayer <laughs> and um and and the, it's the disappointment of slaves in egypt the groaning of exiles in babylon and the expect uh, the expectancy for a messiah in rome roman occupied palestine and so so it's like it's like the goodness of god emerges out of these real broken places but if you want all your prayers to be answered then stick with lord have mercy because that, that like that, that that's a guaranteed one <laughs> And it works on anything. I mean, Eden watches the news on TV and after shrieking at the television, she prays, Lord have mercy and all as well. So um, thanks, Grace, for sharing. Sarah, was it Chris uh, next or uh, Josh, Josh next? Josh, I think I'm up. Yeah. Can, Can you, you hear me? Yep. 
good. It's a device I've never used with Zoom. Um, I find myself actually in my deconstruction, my reconstruction of God, I have trouble praying because I think of God as a loving father. And I think of him as someone who knows a lot of what's going on. And so I find in so many prayers, I find myself inserting this um, assertion at the end. It's like, God, and this is what causes me trouble. God, please do this thing because you didn't know about this before I told you. God, please do this thing because I know you wouldn't have done it if I hadn't asked. God, please influence this individual and override their free will, please. God, please um, have my house sell for over asking and make some fool show up to pay me that. And so I, uh, I, I find myself troubled to the point where I feel I have trouble saying these things. And if I do pray, then it's also just like, what are the words going to matter? God, that guy's sick. Please do something about it. Peace out. I'm done. Like, yeah. what else could I say? Yeah. Wonder if you have any thoughts. Well, you're on you're that. welcome to pray all that stuff for me if you want. Um, <laughs> prepare to be disappointed, but you know, um, what one one of the things that seems to to really matter to God is that His will is done in this world because He's good. And he's taking this world towards the restoration of all things and all people. So that, that matters to him. But what also matters to him is that he has willing human partners who participate in that project. And so I want to know what he's doing to restore the world, because then at least I'm on the right track. And then perhaps my participation is going to look like some practical five loaves and two fish, or perhaps my participation will simply be saying, I'm, if you need somebody to open the door you're knocking on, here I am, I'm opening the door. And it does seem like that matters somehow. And so, so it feels to me like a lot of what's the turmoil in the world is because God consents to our idiocy and defiance and the consequences of it, but also he wants to make it right. And, but to make it right, he's looking for those who will consent back to him as partners. So that's why I love the five loaves and two fishes story. Um, in fact, I, I do believe God can miraculously multiply loaves and fish but I suspect in that case, that kid unlocked something uh, among the whole group. And it's like, really, 5,000 people had no, nobody brought a lunch? <laughs> um, the kid partners up with Jesus. Jesus prays to his father. And a bigger miracle than multiplying wheat and wine happened. Um, some hearts, I think, changed on a massive scale, possibly. That's not because I'm a skeptic around miracles. I've seen too many, but it's just like I, I have this sneaky feeling about that kid's participation unlocked something um, because we are all creation groans and waits for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed so that all things work together. That means everybody starts collaborating. Even nature starts collaborating. People start collaborating towards the good.
that God wants and is, is unrolling, but he won't do it through coercion. So prayer seems to be a way where God can act in this world without coercion. And uh, that's a bit philosophical, but. Can I just yeah. interject? Another thing that um, has really helped me with my um, way of praying or whatever is I've set aside the to-do list, the good ideas list, the you must not have remembered this God stuff. And um, if prayer is supposed to be a form of connection with God, then um, I tap into that and I um, make myself um, become still and then be aware of God's presence with me. And so if I'm concerned about something, say I'm going to the hospital for another test, um, I pray not, you know, God show me something very specific and wait, you know, where, where I'm going to park and all that stuff. I don't, I, I just say, God, go with me and show me where you are. And I, I can do that for others too, when I don't know how to pray for them. And maybe they've even given me specific stuff to pray. Um, I just ask God, to be there with them in a way that they recognize that he's there beside them so that it makes the connection between us and God instead of us and our good ideas and getting results from God. That's it. Good answer. Well, Brad, is there anything you want to add to Chris's um, question? Um, so about, I think you kind yeah, of have yeah. it already with expectations and- yeah. Let's just look at that again. If I pray with expectation, yeah. So we think we need to psych ourselves up. Even like Grace used the word, I believed for. I believed for them. Well, what did you believe for them? Well, I believed that, you know, so I create an expectation and nothing happened. There's so many, <laughs> there's so many problems in this sentence, Chris. I'm sorry. So if I pray with expectation, okay, don't. Uh, nothing happens. I'm glad you're omniscient. I'm disappointed. I'm glad you're disappointed. <laughs> um, that's so, so unpastoral of me, but asking in faith requires expectations. Uh, I don't think so. I think what it, and again, I, it requires expectancy that God is good and he will do good. It doesn't require expectation uh, uh, that God will align with my expectations. And so you may not mean it that way, Chris, but I did. So this is more of a confession about me. Um, I have, I, I had a shipwreck on my expectations that left me wondering if God is good. Um, when it doesn't happen, I truly am disappointed. I, and I think that's part of the game, part of prayer. Um, I would, I would rather, I would rather love people enough to be disappointed when they're in pain and, and, and I, I, you know, but then not mad at God. I'm glad you're not mad. I get mad at God. And that's never seemed to be a problem for him. What, what's a problem is if I turn away from God in my anger. I turn away from my God in my anger. I mean, like in deep doo-doo. But if, but if I'm mad at, like, the things that anger me, if I can lean into God, it's, I'm so angry right now. Um, he seems to like that. He likes it with Abraham. He likes it with Moses. He likes it with David. He likes it with, with Jeremiah. And I'm like, okay, then I'll try that too. Um, so 
but then it, so then you, it, it, ends, it confirms that answered prayer is random, rare, and not to be expected. Well, I, like I say, um, most of my prayers are now answered uh, because I'm praying, Lord, have mercy. And I'm, I'm not saying I pray, Lord, have mercy, and nothing happens. It's like I see mercy happen. It's that I'm attentive for it. I'm watchful for how it happens. And I play the long game with it to happen um, so that, um, but yeah, I would have to agree with you. If I made a list of expectations, I would think prayer, answered prayer is random and rare, not to be expected. And, and um, where, where I do still experience that is when I, I, I genuinely, you know, I pray for Sarah a lot about chronic fatigue. I have a whole list of people with fibromyalgia and I'm, I'm, I'm angry about that. And I it doesn't feel it feels like that kind of healing is very rare and why is that rare and or if we keep praying for it is there going to be a breakthrough where no one ever has it again 50 years from now I, I don't know so and just connected with that Cheryl Hannah's severe mercy yeah I would say that the severe mercy of God is when he when he allows even the fire that he allows me the pain of bottoming out on my expectations and saving me from them so that I'm looking to him and his goodness rather than to specific, um, you know, lottery tickets for, you know, or even noble, much nobler stuff than that. David's been waiting patiently. David has been waiting, which David? David? David. Oh, that David. Hi, David. Jumping. Hey, Good to see you. Good to see you. Can you hear me? Oh, yeah. Yeah, good to see you. Um, I, I'm in this journey right now where I'm really kind of disoriented between um, directing my press to the towards the risen Christ versus the Christ that's within. So it's more like a struggle. I know it, it shouldn't really matter because the risen Christ and the Christ, but how, how would you advise you know, to deal with this? Well, I mean, whatever, whoever we think, whatever our concept of, of God or the Father or Jesus or the Christ or whatever, whatever it is, um, you can be as disoriented as you want, but God isn't. <laughs> he knows who he is. And so when you, when you call on him, um, when you call on him, he answers you. He, hear, he hears you and he knows you. And you could have you you could uh, you could understand God with great clarity, or you could have complete confusion about who He is. Not a problem. Um, in fact, Romans eight is great. It's it, here. Here's a Bible verse for all of you. We don't know how to pray. <laughs> there, and He it, it is not followed by. So here's how to pray. Um, instead, what it says is is that the Spirit inside of you enables you to cry out abba father so and i don't mean literally either you don't have to call him abba father you know um but it's basically so so the important thing is to is maybe this is important maybe it doesn't matter either but i think it's helped me to think about the one i'm praying to is in me and and that matters that i'm not praying to someone out behind pluto um, trying to draw him closer to me. He can't, he's closer to me than I am. 
And so somehow that's really helpful. Um, in my own, my own case, I see, you know, I'm just trying to, I try to observe what's in the gospels. And so, and how Jesus said to do it, because he's my rabbi. And so Jesus says, you know, uh, um, that pray to my father and, 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 and he'll make his home in you. Um, and I know I won't leave, leave you as orphans. I'm going to send you my spirit. And then he said, and I will come to you. So you've got, you've got the father, the son, and the spirit, this one indivisible um, divine love, the, sor the source of all being and, and, and joy and peace. And so however we conceive that, he's in you. And when you pray to the one who lives in you, he hears you. And I just, I tend to believe that those who, who persist in that somehow are changed by it in a way that um, it changes us from glory to glory into the image of Jesus, which is into human beings. <laughs> um, so, so I don't, I don't presume to um, fix your disorientation, but I'm, I'm, I just want to say that, like, if you think about the, the one you pray to is in you and hears you, that, that, that may be the more important issue. So, yeah. Does that answer your question or were you thinking, did I, or did I miss you? Yeah, it's more of, of an issue of visualization. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, like how should I visualize Jesus as in Christ outside or it's within? Oh, yeah, I would say, you know, if you're going to visualize, you don't have to visualize. But if you're going to, um, wherever you visualize, that whole place is in you. So let's say I'm visualizing him down by the beach, even a beach I know. But when I'm visualizing it, where is it? It's in my heart. That's where I am. So I'm that you are the temple of God so that when you relate to God in prayer, you're entering the temple of your heart in that temple is, is everything you can imagine, including all your memories, including all the places you love to go. So it's like, I love to go to Killarney Lake. So there's a Killarney Lake in Manitoba, but now there's also a Killarney Lake in my heart. And I don't have to wait to get an airplane to go there. I can go there in my heart. And Jesus is waiting for me there every time I'm there right now. You know, so where is that? Oh, that that's that is in me, but it can take on any image. Like, and so I think when we do that, we're emulating David in Psalm 23. He's visualizing green pastures, quiet waters, a valley, a chasm, uh, shadows, a, a banqueting table, and a house. But all of that's that's in his heart. But he's drawn those images from outside and is borrowing them as a way to connect with God. So that's our way to do it. Okay, we're um, we're well over time right now. Um, okay. I've got uh, I've got Greg with a thought. Um, if you've got time for that one, um, and then uh, we probably need to wrap her up. Okay. If that's Greg. Okay, Greg, go ahead. Yeah, one uh, one one thought came to my mind when praying for those things that uh, we've seen miracles happen in the past is my life has been permanently changed because of the miracles that I have seen. That, that has become unshakable. And so therefore, when I pray, 
I would be most happy to see my prayers being answered as I pray them for what I want. But I'm just as happy to be able to release that outcome to God because I know he can if he wish wishes. But for some reason, he doesn't. And therefore, I still love him and appreciate all the good things that he has done. So, so that keeps me grounded without falling into despair. Yeah, good. Very good. And the other thought I had was uh, Arthur Burke from uh, Southern California um, did a whole teaching on blessing your spirit. And uh, for years, when we would get together and pray for others and things, when we blessed the spirit of those who we loved and cared for and were interceding for, it was different than just asking God for a bunch of things. And when we realize that all of us, every created be human being has the spirit of God within them, oh, do we need to have each other's spirits blessed? And in so doing, it was uh, great to see him open up doors through those kind of prayers. That's really good. I know you've experienced this. I've experienced it. I've experienced it in the renewal movement. I've experienced it in the Orthodox Church. I've experienced it among some Catholics and so on, where we've, we've come to see that when you offer a blessing, something real is going on. Yeah. It's not even just a request. It's something we're up to. Um, Greg, I'm wondering if you could close in prayer for us with that kind of prayer or some prayers of blessing on, on, on the evening, on the group, on, on our prayer lives, this, on our spirits, what, how, how you would have done it. Um, mm. Would you mind? No, I'd be glad to. Please. Gracious, uh, gracious God and Father of us all, we bless, we, we thank you that you, you bless us with all good things. And as each one of us have opened our hearts to receive, um, bless those portions that we agree with and bless our, the other portions with, uh, with faith to receive all that you have in store for us in the future. And I bless the, the ears and the eyes to see the mercy and the goodness all around us. And for that invitation, we give you thanks. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much. Thanks, Eden. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks for coming. We'll see you in a couple weeks um, to talk about reimagining faith community or church or whatever you want to call it. That, that, that's been as hot a topic as these ones. So I hope I come up with something. We'll, we'll see you then. Have a good night. Good night.